Here's the new one. Oh, word. And we're here. We're here. Welcome to a brand new episode of Semi Charm Kind of Pod. With Kyle. And Ashley. Okay. Oh, I like that. There you go. That's cute. I wonder if we're supposed to do like an inch. No. We don't, we're not supposed to do anything. We can do whatever we want. It's our show. Apparently, according to other people, they want <laughs> it a certain way. So that's fine. Uh, hey, we appreciate the feedback. <laughs> Uh, unsolicited feedback will be taken either with a grain of salt or... No, I'll probably say it a couple times, but say it to my face. (laughs) I want to hear it. (laughs) That's funny. Um, So, no. um, Have you seen any of the stuff that's been coming out of Miami about the mall? What? Okay, I'm so glad. It's been all over my TikTok for the past two days. Um, Miami about the mall. Yeah, so there was, no, like a, there was like an not. incident at, 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 at a mall in Miami, and over like a hundred police cars like responded to this like incident at a mall in Miami. How many and all these eyewitnesses have? are saying that they saw um, in like the crowd of people, they saw all these eight foot to ten foot tall like creatures and no way, with these, like, lanky arms and like there's like there was supposedly all this footage where now there's no footage. All the footage that we skinwalkers is all I don't know. We don't know what it is. Multiple people said they saw it multiple people there's multiple eyewitnesses and then the only surviving like footage of it is like of the street of like hundreds the mall is shut down they ended up cutting power to the mall they shut down the airspace over the mall wait a minute the video footage of the (laughs) i can text it to you real quick please do okay um, wait i have a question what was the incident first what were they called there for um, so what the, what it's being reported as is they're saying that it was two teens fighting with sticks. And a hundred cops came? Over a hundred cops came, and they are also saying that um, fireworks were set off at one point. Okay. Did you know that recently somebody set off fireworks here at the movie theater inside the I, movie I killed the volume, but you'll see, like, the, the cop, like, response there in a minute, um, and then you'll see okay. the, like, at the top of it. Oh? This is, like... Oh, this is for teens. Oh? You're telling me this is for teens fighting? It's for skinwalkers. I'll try to put the this the link to the video that Ashley's watching right now in the Did show notes. Did you find any of the skinwalker videos? But... No, I didn't. So I didn't find any. So of, all so that's missing. Supposedly, all of the videos that are being posted from like inside the mall are like very quickly being. Oh! Posted. Do you see that thing of the thing walking in front of the cop cars? <laughs> Holy! What is that? What is that? Holy crap! That's a lot of. So cops. there's this. So there's this creator on TikTok. Her name is Divine Mother. I'll also try to like find her, I'll try to find her profile again and like link her. But she stitched this video and she got to talking and I fell down this rabbit hole of her talking and she was talking about how. Get this. Ready for this rabbit hole? I was like, this is so interesting. So she brought up the topic of, like, glamour magic. Yeah. And, like, there's, like, a veil between, like, sure. think Percy Jackson. Between, yep. like, like things that I we should not be it. seeing. Yep. So she's talking about how, like, glamour magic itself is dying. That's why we're seeing, like, all these celebrities being outed for, like, their true, like, the energy that they're actually carrying. So then I started like reading all these all the commentary on this like divine yeah. on divine mothers um, on this video right that's the content creator's name and a couple so there was this one comment that really I like I want to do a whole episode on this because I was like this is fascinating so they very much agreed with like the like glamour magic is dying okay and they tied it to the breaking of Queen Elizabeth's scepter at her funeral. And people are like, well, what? what what ounce of, like, what, like, what does she know? Like, what is she, there's no way that she was, I posit you this one question. 
Throughout history, have royals not been associated with the divine? Of course. And let's put this into account. I'm not saying that she was like a witch worth her salt or anything like that. But if anybody was doing any kind of like old rites or something that like is like, you know what I mean? An old school kind of mentality or old magic. It's probably somebody that was reigning for what? Decades? Wow. How long was she in power? We don't know what she was doing behind closed doors and what kind of like spell work she might have been doing or ritual rites. Or somebody she was doing, doing it for her, rather. So did yeah. did the breaking of that scepter actually cause the degradation of like <sighs> maybe she was the last living person venerating something? <laughs> wow. Welcome to my TikTok algorithm. Okay, well, <laughs> so the the veil fitting right makes perfect sense right because people aren't afraid of everything anything anymore like people are just like so numb to Mm -hmm. life in general so that makes sense wow what an interesting concept right i was just like mind blown because at first i was like queen elizabeth it was the last ward between us god i hope not but then i I got actually (laughs) thinking about it and i was like well we maybe what we don't know what knowledge she was privy to or what like or what she paid for rather because mentality she might have maybe what did she know that she needed to be doing maybe to like you know what i mean wow. keep certain things in order that's we don't wild. know wild well wow okay that blew my mind didn't expect that to go there did no <laughs> and the other question that i have about those videos right that one that i just saw or the whatever that you say like thing, things yeah. are missing when things like that happen right and now social media is like such a big quick 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 thing yeah. right yeah it makes you wonder, like, how much you don't know that you did know and what happens to people that know things know and things. suddenly they're gone. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, another really interesting connection that was drawn to this, these sightings, this just happened mm-hmm. on January 1st. Wild. This just happened. I hope people watch that video because I'll that's an amazing it. amount of cops for it, a fight. The response, oh my God, I have been, like, my. I remember in, my, I sent that video to Megan <laughs> down in Georgia mm-hmm. and, um, she brought up this fight that we were that we were at in high school, and there was a police response, and maybe like two or three cops showed up. And Megan's was like, "I don't remember that kind of police response for the fights that we were getting into." I don't like, even think the police respond that accurately to a lot she, of things. Why they're did they supposed shut down to. the airspace? Why did they have to cut power to the mall? Skinwalkers. Isn't that crazy? So Slender Mansion. The other connection that somebody drew was: Do you remember last year when that that those people reported that thing crashing in their backyard and then there was all that the yes they see they, they saw those yeah 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 yeah, yeah. 10 foot tall oh yeah <laughs> that poor um spanish family and, and the people that like showed up or whatever to tell them to shut their mouths the, descriptions, <laughs> the description of these like creatures oh, that was, that was never seen in the mall yeah like very similarly matched the description of these. so it's aliens i mean i believe in aliens I say you said it I believe in aliens. I mean, what else would it be? Well, clearly the aliens exist now. It's not even about believing them. It, it is the truth, actually. No, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's something. It, well, uh-huh. yeah. It's something unidentified. Well, apparently we've identified them now. I think that regardless of whatever happened at that mall, yeah. I think it's going to become a local legend. True. And I think that is a perfect segue. Okay. Into what we're talking about today. Okay. So I love legends. I don't know legends and lore. Lore. That's a great book. If you have never read it. <laughs> legends and lore. Legends and lore. Isn't that a podcast too? Lore. Probably that yeah, makes. That's a great name for a podcast. Yeah, it's a prime original. 
I love that. It's called Lore. I think there's a TV show about it too, and it just oh. goes into different like folklores and stuff. Sorry, I didn't mean to throw you off, but oh, no, it was a great word. I think I want to say it was one of the holiday specials we were in, but we got to talking okay. about a local urban legend yeah. where you were completely unfamiliar. Yes, the Bunny Man. Well, and since we've discussed this, and I, my office happens to be in Fairfax County now. Have you heard of now the Money Man? Yes, now I've heard about the Money Man. Okay, so you got to tell me now what you know. All I know, <laughs> I don't know much. All Who I know did you, is... Did you ask somebody? Yeah, I asked the people at work because they've all They're grew up there. Fairfax? Oh, awesome. They all grew up there. So what I understand is it's from, like, you know, the 70s, 80s, right, is when it started, mm-hmm. apparently. Yeah. And that it's something with a hatchet. Okay. He murdered people with a hatchet or something like that. And they used to tell it to kids to keep them off the streets at night. Mm -hmm. And that he comes back every Halloween. So that way kids don't act bad. Yes. Basically. Yeah. I mean, those are the broad strokes. Yeah. But my people at work all are from Fairfax County. So it's interesting. (laughs) Well, that would be not Fairfax County, but around that area. My mom was from a military family, so moved around a lot, Uh um, but then settled down like right before here in the area, right, right before high school. Okay. And then my stepdad... Um, I want to say he moved here in like middle school too, but they were both here by high school right? okay. and they've been here ever since. Um, my stepdad had heard stories of the bunny man. And when I, the other night we were sitting at dinner and I just like openly asked, like, cause I was curious. I had just spent the day researching. Yeah. Um, and so I asked and my mom was like, looked at both of us. Like we had, like we were the bunny men because yeah, she was like, I've never heard me. like, well, what are you talking about? <laughs> Been like I said, been in the area arguably as long as my stepdad and my step, but my stepdad immediately knew exactly what I was talking about. That's awesome. Yeah, so I thought that that was really interesting. Yeah, mom. It, that it was like literally a fifty-fifty. Like, it, yeah, it was both of the responses that you would expect to get. Yep. Like, I've never heard of it, and oh yeah, no, I've definitely mm-hmm. heard of it. Um, I guess really those are the only two responses you could expect. I right? mean, um, so in doing research, I did attempt. So I'm not gonna lie to you. Okay. This story is gonna be straight lifted. I found an essay. Written by, <laughs> written by Mr. Brian Conley. He's nice. a historian archivist for oh. the Fairfax County Public Library. That's cool. I'm going to straight up plagiarize him. That's fine. <laughs> I'm just giving him his You're just due. reading his essay. I'm reading his essay. It's fully available. You can go read it on um, online yourself. The account that he does here is great. Fantastic. I read it and I was like, that's Can't it. Can't do better. Why reinvent the wheel? Yeah. Because he just like... He gets you'll, it. You'll see as I start getting into it. Like okay. why I was like, yep, here's my episode. Um... <laughs> So it, the name of the essay is called The Bunny Man Unmasked, The Real-Life Origins of an Urban Legend by Brian A. Conley, historian, archivist, Fairfax County Public Library. Nice. I'm going to... I just really want to give this man his props. Like, he did his due diligence. Like, okay. we're about to get into it. And I feel like for, like, a lot of, like, urban legends, like, that are just, like, local to, like, an area... Yeah. Probably you're never going to figure out, like, where the root of it came from or like no. what exactly like spurred it. And I'm not saying he found the exact, but pretty close. He did. He did some pretty, he did a very thorough job. That's right. cool. So there's a story that a man dressed as a bunny haunts the residential neighborhoods around our nation's capital. Silly as this may sound at first, the bunny man has been a fixture of local legend for at least 30 years. By 1973, the so-called bunny man had been reported in Maryland, Virginia, and the district of Columbia. His infrequent and widespread appearances tended to occur in secluded locations and usually tell of a figure clad in a white bunny suit armed with an axe, threatening children or vandalizing property. By the 1980s, the bunny man had become an even more sinister figure with several gruesome murders to his credit. 
Wow. Although he has been reported as far south as Culpeper, Virginia, Yikes. his main haunt has been the area surrounding a railroad overpass near Fairfax Station, Virginia, frequented by partygoers, <laughs> the now infamous Bunny Man Bridge. <laughs> yes. That I did hear. Have you seen the pictures of the bridge? <coughs> yes. It's creepy. Mm-hmm. And it's like a one, it's like only one car, it's like one yep. car width. So yep. you have to like, they say that you want to like, before you even go through it, you want to like stop and like honk your horn to like make sure that nobody's like. I would never go it. under it anyway. Which also like adds to like the creepy Creep. factor that you like, they tell you to stop and honk your it's horn It's like first. a portal. Yeah. <laughs> it's literally like, oh, there's a little ritual you'll yeah. do before I drive through the archway. <laughs> Fairy activity? Okay. Cool. Yep. <laughs> Whoa, you're going to some bells while I do it? Okay. <laughs> That's funny. All right, so here's the legend itself. Um, for more than 25 years, stories of the bunny man have been kept alive primarily amongst our teenage population. Mm-hmm. Over the years, the story has evolved into a ghost story suitable for parties, campouts, and any occasion that such tales are exchanged. It was at one such gathering in 1976 that the author first heard it told. The bunny man was said to be responsible, responsible for the deaths of two disobedient children in the Clifton area. Others were rumored to have disappeared, and there was talk of animals found horribly mutilated. Oh. I never saw the bunny man myself, but then I never strayed into the woods at night, especially not near the bridge. Creepy. Most childhood ghost stories are forgotten as one gets older. However, the bunny man followed me. After graduating from college, I accepted a position with the Fairfax County Public Library, eventually becoming an information specialist in the Virginia Room. One day, around 1992, a very well-spoken young lady came into the Virginia Room with a question. She wanted to know how she could find information on a murder that was supposed to have taken place near her home. As I interviewed the patron to ascertain what hard facts she had to go on, some vague memory nagged at me. Two children were allegedly murdered by a local hermit for trespassing, and their bodies left hanging from a covered bridge. She had no names and only a vague idea of a time frame. Oh, wow. The whole story seemed a little fantastic, but the thing that really bothered her was the guy was supposed to be an escaped inmate dressed in a bunny suit. At this point, even though the story had evolved a bit, I recognized the tale from my own youth. We were unable to confirm any of the elements of the story as she or I had first heard it, but I put it down in my mind as a story fabricated to scare children. Okay. I likely would have forgotten about the bunny man again if the question didn't didn't begin coming on a regular basis. Hmm. The bunny man has actually begun appearing in print in recent years, having been mentioned in several high school newspapers and more recently on the internet. I caution saying both of those have been appearing in print, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> high school newspapers and the internet? You never I know. I think they'll publish anything, but okay. The various internet versions have carried the story to new heights. The most widely circulated written version entitled The Clifton Bunny Man and signed by Timothy C. Forbes, Virginia, was posted on a website called Castle of Spirits around 1999. This version of the tale is actually quite notable because of the number of specific facts that are given. Hmm. Forbes claims that in 1904, inmates from an insane asylum escaped while being transferred to Lorton Prison. One of these escapees, Douglas J. Griffin, murdered fellow escapee Marcus Walster and eventually became the Bunny Man. Huh. Not only is the location identified, but also the names of several victims and the dates of their murders. What was the year? 1904. How old was he in 1904? Who? The Bunny Man, allegedly. We'll find out. Okay. So the story ends with a challenge for the reader to check with the Clifton Town Library for verification of these facts. Okay. So that's like the most like notable version of the story, right? Okay. Little effort was required to show that all of the specifics given in the Forbes version are completely false. <laughs> First, 
there has never been an asylum for the insane in Fairfax County. I didn't think so, yeah. And that's like, that's one of the, that, the story, the version that I heard when I was in middle school included the insane asylum. Like, it, it like, it said that it always does, right? right? Of course. Right. <laughs> um, second, Lorton Prison didn't come into existence until 1910. Whoops. Daisy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And even then, it, it was an arm of the District of Columbia Correction System, not Virginia's. So if you did something wrong in Virginia, you, you wouldn't go to DC, right? Yeah. You, was, yeah. you did crimes in DC and then mm-hmm. they were sent, right. were sent to this prison that just so happened to be in Fairfax. Mm. Um, third, neither Griffin nor Wolster appear in the court records of Fairfax County. So those names don't appear in any court records. Whoopsie. And lastly, <laughs> there's not and never has been a Clifton Town Library. Stop it. So where the stories like, yeah, go fact check these at that town library. It's not there. <laughs> Have you been to Clifton? I mean, I've been to the area. You yeah. can throw a rock, a rock. down the, yeah, you're right. the other end of Main Street. Like, <laughs> oh my god! So I thought, I thought that was so funny that they're like, "This is the most notable version of the story." I love. This people. is how quickly we can poke holes in like it. I love people. <laughs> All right, so the story also received wide recognition after being featured on national television. Wow. The program called Scariest Places on Earth, broadcast on the Fox Family Channel, (laughs) included a segment entitled Terror on Bunny Man's Bridge in the 2001 broadcast season. That's pretty cool, though. Isn't it? Um, So even though these fictional tales of spectacular crimes are easy to, 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 to dismiss as fiction, the question of the story's origin is not. Was the Bunny Man real? At first, I was content to dismiss the Bunny Man as completely fictitious. However, I have learned that many legends do have some basis in factual events. At the urging of a fellow employee, I finally began a more serious search for the Bunny Man. I began with a few basic assumptions. First, although the tale is not in jurisdictions all around the... Excuse me. First, although the tale is told in jurisdictions all around the Washington, D.C. area, the bulk of them take place in Fairfax County. Second, any event that gains as much notoriety as this... This one must have been originally reported to the public to some degree. Third, the original event was probably criminal in nature. So they're saying, like, this was probably... This had to be proliferated somewhere for how vast this story is out there. Like, it was most likely, like, told to the public. So was the bunny man a murderer? The aspect of the story which gets the most attention are the alleged murders. Researching historical crimes can be very difficult unless you have some basic facts to begin with. Since police records are not available for casual review and court records are indexed by the names of those involved, not by location or type Mm -hmm. of crime, I had to begin by checking the local newspapers. Hmm. The tool that has proved the most valuable was the Fairfax County Public Library Historical Newspaper Index. Which is huge. I can only imagine. This is really interesting. So Virginia Room volunteers Malcolm Richardson and Barbara Welch worked for 10 years to compile a complete index to local Fairfax County newspapers. Wow. I can't imagine what's in there. The careful work of these two combined with the searching capabilities of a computer database allowed us to extract every murder and killing report by the by the local press from 1872 through 1973. Holy crap. And even though Fairfax County has was a rural farming community mm-hmm. until well into the 20th century, there were over 550 individual mentions of killings in the study period. Wow. Eliminating run-of-the-mill domestic murders and concentrating on multiple murders that involved children served to pare down a list of more than 500 possible events to the following three. Okay. So the first event we're going to talk about is Francis and June Holliber in February of 1949. Sure. 
So it would be hard to imagine a more disturbing event for a growing community like Fairfax and the gruesome murders of 37-year-old Frances Holaber and her 8-month-old daughter, June. Hmm. On Thursday, February 24, 1949, Mrs. Holaber and her daughter drove to Fairfax County in the company of her estranged husband, Charles. Yep, I saw that sneer. Yeah, you're right. We don't like. We already don't like Charles. All were residents of the District of Columbia. Charles Holaber later told police that they had come to see the new lodge at a nudist colony to to which Mr. Holaber belonged. <laughs> I really don't like this guy. You're dragging your estranged wife. Hey, come with me and then drop me off for my nudies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so upon leaving the lodge, the car became mired in some mud. The couple sure. quarreled, and Mrs. Holaber took the child and walked away from her husband and never returned. Okay. Charles Holaber spent the night in the car and got a ride back to Washington, D.C. the next day. He's literally letting his ex-wife and child wander out in the dark and doesn't say, oh, yeah, true. He knows exactly where they are. He with his brother-in-law and a friend to retrieve the car. Still finding no evidence of his family, the police were finally notified. Hmm. An intensive search of the area was organized involving Fairfax County Police, Washington detectives, and Boy Scouts. They enlisted local Boy Scouts. I mean, free work, right? I mean, but this man... (laughs) (laughs) About 5 p.m., just as the searchers were about to give up for the night, one of the detectives noted noted that the ground on which they were standing was very soft. Both mother and daughter were found in a shallow grave next to the lodge and less than 200 yards from where Charles Holaber's car had been stuck. Of course it was. Francis Holaber had been beaten and then shot once in the head and once in the heart. Oh, my gosh. The baby had been buried alive. No way. So, that made my stomach turn. This kid. Yikes. The local community was shocked and horrified by the cold, brutal character of the crime, especially when the investigation identified Charles Holaber as the prime suspect. Shocker. Of course. Holaber later confessed to investigators that he had planned the murder for three weeks and had not what? intended to report the disappearance of his wife, but changed his plan when the car got caught in the mud. The case came to trial on January 16, 1950. After hearing for four days of testimony, the jury returned a verdict of guilty, and Holaber was sentenced to die in the electric chair. Holaber's attorney, T. Brooke Howard, filed an appeal alleging that the jury failed to give proper consideration to the plea of insanity, and that the court made errors in its instruction to the jury. The Virginia Supreme Court of Appeals eventually overturned the conviction and ordered a new trial. Charles Francis Holaber was recommitted to the Western State Mental Hospital at Marion, Virginia, where he was judged to be insane. Mm. It is interesting to note that this was the first time since the Ridgeway murder trial of 1927 in which a Fairfax County jury invoked the death penalty. Wow. But then it was revoked and he just got to go to an insane asylum. Which baffles me because he admitted to planning it. True. And then his attorney is like, oh, no. He's insane. He's crazy. Yeah. But you can't have motive with. So not to say he went to go live out his cushy life, but he went to go just live in a hospital. Wow. For the rest of his life. In the 40s, right? That Um, was. Was it the 40s? Yeah, 1940s. was when that took place. So he could still be alive, technically. Could be, depending on how old he was. Yeah. All right, so the second instance that could possibly be a Bunny Man inspiration was mm-hmm. the murders of Minnie. Um, actually, the murders of Loretta and Catherine. I think Minnie was just attacked. Um, and so, actually, I think this is the how I just referenced the Ridgeway murder trial of 1927. Yeah. This is the Ridgeway murder trial of 1927. Wow. Um, so the available newspaper record... Uh, the available newspapers record many murders, but mm-hmm. few shocked Fairfax like the ferocious and senseless attack on Mrs. Minnie Ridgeway and her two young daughters. Mrs. Ridgeway lived with her husband and three children on Telegraph Road in Alexandria, Virginia. 
Sometime on the morning of March 4th, 1927, a man later identified as Louis Borsig called at the home on the pretext of seeing Mr. Ridgway. Upon finding mm. that he was not at home, Borsig attacked and beat Minnie Ridgway into unconsciousness and then likewise bludgeoned her daughters Loretta, seven, and Catherine, five. Oh, my. He then stole money from the home and fled. The crime was discovered by a neighbor who heard moans coming in from inside the house. Gross. All three victims were taken to Alexandria Hospital. Shout out. That's where I was born. Oh. Terrible shout out, right? Like, we're talking about this awful crime, but I was born there. <laughs> um, Loretta died there. Yikes. Full she circle was the, there, she Kyle. Was, she, was, she, was, she was the seven-year-old, the Aww. older daughter. Um, Catherine Ridgway, um, who was five at the time, lived another eight days before finally succumbing to her injuries. Mm. Minnie recovered and was able to identify her assailant, um, who was known to them. They knew him. Borsig was arrested at his home and was transferred to the jail in Winchester for his safety, because um, um, he murdered two little girls. Right. Um, Borsig was executed for the murders of Loretta and Catherine Ridgway on July 7th, 1927, just three months after committing the crime. Yikes, Isn't that man. crazy? Wow. Um, so, and then the third instance that could possibly be a bunny man inspiration was the murder of Ava Roy back <laughs> in August of 1918. So Peter Roy was a Danish immigrant who had come to Fairfax from Minnesota in 1912. In November of that year, he purchased two parcels of land near the current intersection of Old Keen Mill Road and Sidenstriker Road, totaling 180 acres. Roy, a, a widower, became a prosperous farmer and an active member of the Lee Chapel Methodist Church. With him resided his eldest daughter, Caroline, and her husband, William K. German, along with their younger daughter, Ava. Ava. On the morning of August 4th, 1918, Ava Roy, age 14, left her home near Burke at around 9 a.m. to tend her father's small herd of cows. When Ava failed to return home later that evening, her father began a search. Neighbors were soon enlisted to help, but it was some 24 hours later that her body was found tied to a tree in the woods near the old Hans house. Oh her apron strings tight about her throat. Yikes. The county coroner, Dr. W.I. Roby, concluded that the girl had been brutally assaulted before being strangled to death. Oh my gosh. A coroner's jury was appointed and quickly <clears throat> concluded, we, the jury, find that Ava, War Ava Roy came to her death at the hands of some unknown person, and the indications point to a Mr. Lou Hall as the probable perpetrator of the crime. Mm. Hall, a 33-year-old woodcutter, lived about a half a mile from the scene of the crime and was seen in the woods near the time of the girl's disappearance. Oh, wow. The case was not to be easily solved, however, as other suspects were soon identified and eventually eliminated. So the first, Mr. William Wooster, was only 16 years old but was soon arrested for assaulting a quote-unquote colored girl. Mm-hmm. He had a recently been released from an insane asylum, but was found that he was nowhere near the scene of Ava's murder at the time. Wow. The next suspect to emerge was a soldier who deserted from Camp Humphreys, now Fort Belvoir. Mm -hmm. The soldier, a sergeant whom the papers failed to name, was located some days later near Charlottesville, Virginia. He had scratches on his face and hands, was wearing freshly laundered clothes, and claimed to have no memory of the events between his leaving Camp Humphreys and his capture. Hmm. Sheriff Allison traveled to Charlottesville to interview the man, but after some weeks of investigation, determined that he was not connected to the crime. The lagging, which makes me think that they found, like, he, they found he was out just he like did, walking or, on the side of the road, and they, they were something like, worse, and they were like, oh, yeah, yeah he didn't do that. <laughs> no, trust us. That's even worse. He didn't do that. Of course. <laughs> so the, the lagging investigation seemed to finally receive a break with the apprehension of Ben Rubin, an, an escaped inmate from the Lorton prison. Reuben, who had been serving a three-year sentence for housebreaking, was arrested by Washington, D.C. police on September 19th for assaulting a girl, a little girl. 
While on the way to the police station, he confessed to Ava's murder. Reuben claimed he met Ava Roy looking at her father's cows. Okay. He asked her for food, and in a conversation with her, he told her he was an ex-convict. She declared she would, quote, turn him up. And he became excited and choked her. Ooh. Naturally. The Washington authorities were unconvinced by Reuben's story and wanted to try him for assault and theft before turning him over to Virginia courts. An investigator sent by the Commonwealth of Virginia to interview Reuben concluded that he was not responsible for the crime, but extradition papers were filed anyway. On okay. September 26, Reuben was escorted to the scene of the crime by authorities. After being unable to locate the scene of the attack or the tree where the body was left, Reuben finally denied killing Ava. He claimed the presence of the girl's father spurred him to recant his confession. We've heard this before about false confessions. Like, when they're, like, faced with the victim of the crime, they'll, like, oh, yeah, I did it. Because they have this, like, weird guilt of, like, being... People are so weird. False confessions fascinate me. I can understand, like... mm. One, they're infuriating. But, like, they just fascinate me. I can understand being, like, uh... It's almost like being, like, hypnotized, right? After you're there for, like, six hours or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's like, maybe I did do. Maybe you're telling me that I did. Yeah. Yeah. I can understand that. But, like, people are so odd when they're, like... guys, yeah, clearly. Well, or, like, sometimes people are, like, oh, yeah, I did that. Oh, yeah, I did that. And it's, like... they want the credit for it. you didn't. (laughs) Right, right. I just don't get it. Yeah. Um, So, Ruben's motive for confessing was revealed some weeks later when, on October 6th, he escaped from the jail in in (laughs) Fairfax. He was arrested two days later while attempting to buy a pistol and admitted that he concocted... Oh, my God. He concocted the entire story in order to be transferred to Fairfax, where he thought escape would be easier. What an idiot. it was. Remember that guy that just escaped from... Like, this wasn't that long ago. Like, they... People still escape What from. an idiot. So he was eventually convicted of burglary and, burglary and escaped from jail and was sentenced to four more years in prison. Okay. Lou Hall was finally tried for the murder in Fairfax County Court. The prosecution was handled by state's attorney C. Vernon Ford, assisted by Wilson M. Farr. The defense was provided by Walter T. Oliver. His first trial resulted in a hung jury with nine votes for guilty, three for innocent. His wow. second trial resulted in a clear verdict <laughs> of <comes>. not guilty. <laughs> What? Right. Well, I kind of don't, I don't know how they landed on Lou Hall. Like, they made that statement at the beginning that they thought it was him. Then we go through this, like, elimination yeah. for these other two guys. And then they're like, then we're just on trial for Lou Hall. And then, then it's a hung jury. And then, <laughs> um, so Peter Roy died on January 2nd, 1938, and was interred in Lee Chapel Cemetery next to his youngest daughter. Her murder was never found. Wow. Or was they, was, were they found in... Right, mm. right. So those are the three crimes that could possibly be their origin of the story, the spurring of our bone of our bunny man. So after scrutinizing the three preceding events, I concluded that none are likely candidates for the bunny man. I mean, it doesn't even make it doesn't even fit the story. The, right. What the lore is, rather. And I cautioned reading all of that, and then being like, "Oh yeah, none of those were it." But those are the closest. And they don't even fit the bill. That's weird. But did you see the elements in yeah. there? Like escaping from the prison. Mm-hmm. And, oh, there's a little girl tied yep. to a tree. Yep. Like, okay. So Charles Holober was caught and incarcerated. Louis Borsig was caught and summarily, uh, can't say that word, executed. And the murder of Ava Roy, Ava Roy, even though it has many of the elements that has a good legend built upon it, it's simply too old. Right. It just doesn't take, it doesn't fit the timeline. Um, this last assertion is based upon one other important factor that has emerged through my research. The bunny man, like any good legend, has evolved over time. The story's changed. Right, right. So the recent rash of persons researching the origins of this story have been largely attracted by the spectacular nature 
of the alleged crime. Okay. The previously cited Forbes version of the story features 32 victims and has a pronounced supernatural element to it. Okay. This contrasts sharply with versions of the tale collected from the 1980s, which generally involved only two to three victims, usually children. Mm-hmm. More importantly, the earliest versions dating back to the 1970s did not mention any deaths at all. <laughs> These earliest versions recount acts of vandalism, usually against secluded residential construction sites, or couples parked at secluded lovers' Always. Lane types locations. <laughs> Always. Being accosted or threatened by a strange individual dressed in a white bunny costume. Because, yeah. So at this point, Brian's like, more research is clearly needed. Because he's like, clearly. finding all these elements, but he's not finding any Enough, kind of like, yeah. you know what I mean? Where's mm-hmm. the nail? He's like, not nailing anything down. Yeah. So this next section is called Fact versus Folklore. Okay. After nearly eight years of research, I finally got a solid lead. The November 11th, 2000 Washington Post ran an article highlighting an interesting collection called the Maryland Folklore Archive. I really want to find this archive and look at it. Um, From the 1950s through roughly 1990, students at three Maryland universities collected, researched, and transcribed numerous local legends. That's cool. This material has finally come to rest in the holdings of the the University of Maryland. Okay. In 1973, University of Maryland student Patricia Johnson submitted a paper titled The Bunny Man. Mm -hmm. This paper was compiled as part of the coursework for a class entitled Introduction to Folklore, English 460. It was coursework. That is cool. She interviewed 33 students from Prince George's County, Maryland, ages 15 to 18, which I think is a very interesting, like, sampling group, too, because we talked Mm -hmm. about it being alive, like, in teenagers. So, Miss Johnson relates that the tale met all of the qualifications of an urban legend. Mm -hmm. Specifically, it, one, takes place in an urban setting. Two, existed prior to the project Mm -hmm. of compiling urban legends. Yeah. Three, it had appeared in print as truth. True. Which is, I think, very interesting. Yeah. Like, is that criteria for yeah. a legend? But I, and I didn't think about that until it was brought up earlier, too. Like, that does make sense for, like, a basis for an urban legend. Like, how was the story proliferated? It was presented to the public as True. truth. Yeah. Like, it was reported on. Yeah. Like, it wasn't word that's of mouth. That's why it gets repeated. It was literally, yeah. like, presented as, like, this happened. Yep. I think that's so fascinating. Yeah. Um, So she goes on to state, included in this collection is an article from the Washington Post which verifies the story as truth. This was an important claim as I had found no primary sources to date. I was extremely frustrated to find that the page containing the reference article was missing from her original paper. Hmm. Interesting, right? That is. Um, With any hope of a quick resolution gone, I turned to examining the paper itself. Johnson's informants told 54 variations of the (laughs) story. Okay, so a rough tally reveals the the following. There's 14 different geographic locations that are mentioned. Okay. 18 involve the bunny man chasing or frightening people, usually children with a hatchet or an axe. Okay. 14 tell of attacks in cars. Okay. Nine claim he attacked a couple parked in a car. Uh-huh. Five accuse him of vandalism on homes or buildings. Mm. And only three mention a murder. Okay. Based on the widespread geographic locations and the significant variation represented in the tales, Johnson concluded that the Bunny Man was an urban legend. In short, the Bunny Man did not exist. Yikes. So the breakthrough. After rereading Johnson's paper several times, I finally noted that she heard the tale for the first time around Halloween 1970. Okay. Having no better leads, I began a systematic search at the Washington Post for October of that year in hopes of finding the previously cited news article. I was elated and not a little surprised to find the following. Uh-oh. So this article is titled, Man in Bunny Suit Sought in Fairfax. 
Fairfax County Police said yesterday they are looking for a man who who li- likes to wear a white <coughs> bunny rabbit costume and throws hatchets through car windows. Air Force Academy cadet Robert Bennett told police that shortly after midnight last Sunday, he and his fiance were sitting in a car in the 5400 block of Guinea Road when a man dressed in a white bunny suit with long bunny ears ran from nearby bushes and shouted, you're on private property and I have your tag number. It would scare the shit out of me. The rabbit threw a wooden handled hatchet through the right front car window, the first year cadet told police. As soon as he threw the hatchet, the rabbit skipped off into the night. Ew. Police said Bennett and his fiance were not injured. Ew. <laughs> Police say they have the hatchet, but no other clues in the case. They say Bennett was visiting an uncle who lives across the street from the spot where the car was parked. The cadet was in the area to attend last weekend's Air Force Navy football game. Of course they were. So this is Brian again, talking now back in his essay. When I began this project, the aspect that puzzled me most was the bunny suit. Mm-hmm. I expected to find that the legend was spawned by an event that was strange or in some way notable, but I never suspected the bunny man really was just that. A bunny. A bunny man. And a man. <laughs> a man in a bunny suit, Literally. yeah. I was even further surprised to find a second appearance recorded just two weeks later. <laughs> so this one's called The Rabbit Reappears. Okay. A man wearing a, fu- a furry rabbit suit with two long ears appeared again on Guinea Road in Fairfax County Thursday night. Police reported this time wielding an axe and chopping away at a roof support of a new house. Okay. Less than two weeks ago, a man wearing what was described as a rabbit suit accused two persons in a parked car of trespassing and heaved a hatchet through a closed window of the car at 5400 Guinea Road. They were not hurt. Okay. Thursday night's rabbit, wearing a suit described as gray, black, and white, was spotted a block away at 5307 Guinea Road. Okay. Paul Phillips, a private security guard for a construction company, said he saw the rabbit standing on the front porch of a new but unoccupied house. Okay. I started talking to him, Phillips said, and that's when he just started chopping. All you people trespass here, Phillips said the rabbit told him as he whacked eight gashes into the pole. If you don't get out of here, I'm going to bust you on the head. That's apparently the rabbit talking to Phillips. Oh. Phillips said he walked back to his car to get his handgun. One, why are... Okay. You, you don't have it on you? Some some security guard you are. What? But that the rabbit carrying the long-handled axe ran off into the woods. The security guard said the man was about five foot eight, 160 pounds, and appeared to be in his early 20s. So that's the end of the article. So there's two <laughs> documented appearances by a bunny-suited figure in the same Fairfax County community. That's like yeah. right next to each other. Yeah. So was this the bunny man or just copycats acting out stories that they had heard from somewhere else? I again turned to Johnson's paper for clues. As mentioned earlier, 14 of her tales mentioned a couple in a parked car being attacked, but nine of these specifically mentioned a hatchet being thrown into the car. Mm-hmm. Of the five mentioning van- mentioning vandalism, two described columns being chopped. <laughs> The story told by 70-year-old G. G. Taylor was particularly revealing. She related... Keep in mind this is a 17-year-old talking. Gross. This this hurt my brain when I was reading this the first time. Oh, God. I think it was last year or maybe before that I came home from school. I was listening to the news. I had just gotten in and I heard there was a man and a woman sitting in a car. It could have been teenagers, but they were just parked and all. And all of a sudden they looked up and there was this bunny. You You know, this giant bunny just ran out of the woods. And you know, from behind the trees and all. And he in front of the car. And he had a hatchet and he threw it through the car. And just turned around and went back away. They were just shocked. They just sat there and watched. 
Then an old man came out of the house and warned them to get off of his property. You know, they tried to explain and everything, but he just wouldn't listen. Oh, and then man. they took it to the police afterwards. And the police, you know, went back and all and oh. asked him if he had seen anything. And nobody had seen it until a couple of days later that a lot of people were saying that they had seen the bunny man. And then after that, you know, the police tried to investigate, <laughs> but they couldn't get anything. Oh, and then God. they found these places that sell costumes and all, right? And they found that it hadn't been but three people that had, um, bought the costumes. Then they, you know, long put theirs away and brought them back and all, And it, but it wasn't them. Wow. And nobody ever found out about the bunny man. And it just went on for a couple of weeks, but then it just died out. And that's it. So that's how it's written. Oh, my gosh. I apologize. That's nauseating. It was hard to read. Yeah. I read it word for word. <laughs> but I think what she's saying is that, like, it wasn't known about. Yeah. All of a sudden, everybody knew about and it. Then a couple people gone. were known to have bunny yep. suits, but it said it would been in storage. They didn't even maybe know where the bunny suits were. So those wasn't that. And then as quickly as it came on, it died. It died. Yep. So Miss Taylor's recollections are important for a number of reasons. First, she identifies the television news as her source of information. Uh-huh. Second, she accurately relates this hatchet being thrown into an occupied car, the teenage couple, the accusation of trespassing, and police being involved. Third, she states that it went on for a couple of weeks and then just stopped. Right. Lastly, she identifies the time frame to within six months. The October 22nd news story is clearly the origin of the tale that she told. Moreover, although the story had mutated noticeably in 22 years, many of Johnson's 53 other versions also contain recognizable elements of the October 1970 incidents. Newspapers, accounts, and other oral reports can be revealing, but neither can be trusted to be completely accurate. Okay. It was time to look for more trustworthy records. So the Fairfax County Police Department has no official record of the October 18th assault on Robert Bennett and his (laughs) fiancée, but they do have an investigation report relating to the October 29th vandalism incident. So that one that happened two weeks later. And although FCPD is not required to release any information relating to misdemeanor offenses, they kindly supplied a redacted copy, copy of the report for this project. Okay. The investigation report confirms the basics of the event as told in the October 31st Washington Post article. At 10.30 p.m. on October 29, 1970, six officers re- responded to 5307 Guinea Road for a subject dressed as a rabbit with an axe. <laughs> the officers found no rabbit, and the case was turned over to investigator W.L. Johnson of the Criminal Investigation Bureau. Johnson began with a visit to the construction offices of the Kings Park West subdivision on October 31st. He found no rabbit, but did receive a call shortly after his visit from someone who worked at Kings Park West. The caller claimed to have just received a telephone call from someone identifying himself as the Axe Man. (laughs) The Axe Man allegedly said, Mr. Redacted, you have been messing up my property by dumping tree stumps, limbs, and brush, and other things all over my property. The Axe Man further stated that you can make everything right by meeting me tonight and talking about this situation. The representative from Kings Park West stated that the caller sounded to be a white male in his late teens or early 30s. Okay. Same description, right? Right. The police set up a stakeout, but the Axe Man never showed. Of course. On a, uh, so on November 4th, Investigator Johnson received a call from a resident of the area who informed him that her son claimed to know the identity of the bunny man. Mm. She stated that some of the neighborhood children who have seen or been with the bunny man described him as an older teenager. Johnson interviewed the son, aged eight, and eventually learned that he had not actually met the bunny man, but had only heard of the bunny man at school from the rest of the children talking about it. Oh. Typical for an eight-year-old, right? Like, yeah, and then he's going to solve the story. He's right? talking to him, and it's like, oh, no, I just heard about it at lunch. Yep. 
Um, interviews with other neighborhood children um, yielded similar results. <laughs> On March 14th, 1971, Johnson wrote the following summary. After a very extensive investigation into this and all other cases of this same nature, it is still substantiated as to whether or not there really is a white rabbit. The only people who have seen this so-called white rabbit have been children of rather young ages and the complainant in this case. Oh. Upon interviewing everyone in this case that may have any knowledge of any incidents concerning a white rabbit, there has been no significant information uncovered that would lead to the identity of the person or persons that were posing as a white rabbit. Hmm. This case will be marked as inactive. So his identity? Who was the bunny man and what was he trying to accomplish? Sadly, he will likely never know. We will likely never know his true identity. Right. Likewise, his true motivations are known only to himself, but there are a few clues contained in the foregoing sources. So on October 18th, the bunny man accused Robert Bennett of trespassing. On October 29th, the bunny man told security guard Paul Phillips that you all trespass around here. (laughs) And on on November 4th, the self-titled axe man accused the unnamed representative of Kings Park West subdivision of dumping debris on his property. Okay. If we assume that all three incidents involved the same individual, then it appears that this young man was disturbed by the development of the area. Said development was very extensive in 1970. Until the Second World War, Fairfax County was a rural farming community. I was just going to say it's very different now. The buildup of federal employment in the region fueled intensive residential development in the closer suburbs of Arlington and Fairfax counties. Mm -hmm. And the 1950s saw tract housing being built in Springfield, McLean, Annandale, and Fairfax. The somewhat modest developments of the early 1960s eventually gave rise to near-town-sized projects like Reston mm-hmm. and Burke Center. We know those as huge town mm-hmm. centers. So Kings Park West is a subdivision of over 1,500 homes and was one of several such developments either built or under construction for the Burke area at the time of the incidents. Okay. So James W. Robinson Secondary School opened the next year with nearly 3,900 students. (laughs) While Fairfax County began to look seriously at land use planning issues in the 1950s, the first countywide comprehensive land use plan was not adopted until 1975. Wow. So many people living in Fairfax County in the 1960s and 70s were disturbed to see pastures and woods giving way to roads, subdivisions, and shopping centers. I was just thinking in my head, like, I can't even think of a single farm in Fairfax County. Being forced to watch helplessly while the face of your community changes around you can elicit strange behavior in some Mm -hmm. people. And what was the significance of the bunny costume? I'm not even prepared to hazard a guess. So here's the conclusion. Okay. Wrap it all up. Okay. So who the bunny man was and what motivated him to act in such a bizarre manner is still a mystery. However, the available evidence points to the October 1970 events as the genesis of the bunny man legend. Which is interesting that you said the 1970s, uh-huh. right? So many of the tales collected by Patricia Johnson in 1973 clearly derive from the events as reported in the newspaper and the television news of the period. Okay. The official police report makes no mention of any pre-existing stories that this individual could have been copying. Furthermore, William L. Johnson specifically stated to the author that he found no indications of any earlier stories or criminal incidents involving an individual dressed as a rabbit. Okay. It is also plainly evident that the story began to take on the features of an urban legend quite soon after the events were reported. Investigator Johnson was following leads generated by schoolyard rumors less than two weeks after the first appearance of the bunny man. And by the time Patricia Johnson began her work two and a half years later, the story had mutated in location, frequency, and severity. And there you have just one interpretation of the story. That's wild. I love how he ended that, though. Yeah. 
Because this is, like, such a comprehensive, and he literally is like, well, that's one perspective. Yeah, I mean, that's true. I mean, there's, like, a million. Yeah, that's cool. Isn't that so good? It's interesting. Um, I mean, he probably still works there, is my assumption. I kind of want to, like, I probably should have reached out for, like, permission beforehand. Yeah. But, like, when it goes live, I may, like, Mm -hmm. reach out and be like, You should. He probably, I mean... He probably loves to hear stuff like that. Yeah. No, That's but definitely cool. give Brian A. Conley, historian, archivist for Fairfax County Did you look him Library, up, like, on Facebook his, or anything? I have not. I assume that that's kind of a, a, a common name, Brian Conley. How do you spell Brian? B-R-I-A-N? Yeah, he's an I. But, I mean, but I, he's yeah, famous. I guess you're right. He's and we know where he works famous. or has yeah. worked for at least an extensive, for at least a, a decent amount of time. I love how you're literally looking him up I right am. now. I just want to know. Message him live on the pod. Hey, we just got to talk about you. That probably is him. No, that's not how he spells his name. Okay. So it's C-O-N-L-E-Y. Not oh, Conley. It's Conley. Um, easy mistake. Okay, here um, we go. But I will, I will also link to his essay because um, I want to give this man his due. I'm not, I, that, that, none of that work was mine. None of that research was mine. It was so well put together. It was so well researched. I like, I feel like now anytime somebody does bring up Bunny Man to me, I'll be like, yeah. no, I know. I know the basis of that story. I'm going to tell everybody like, at work yeah. now. No, when I first heard that story, I was in, I was in middle school. Um, and I, do you remember the, the Ouija board story that I told you, you asked me if I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ouija board and yeah. I, I scared the, the, the shit out of my friend Riley. <laughs> yes. So little side note to my friend, um, Megan, who I've also mentioned numerous times on the podcast. Uh, she listened to that episode and I got an angry text from her. She was there for that. She was there. She was also there for you that. You guys are mean. She was like, I was there for that. I guess you blocked me. I was You guys are too. mean. Yeah, so oh, I, Megan's not mean. You're just I'm the mean, mean one. Yeah, no. She Shut was up, like, Megan. I was also traumatized by that. <laughs> I, need that. I, need my, I need my flowers too. Um, but no, Riley, the one who I had that experience with, yeah. um, she was the one who like told me about the bunny man for the first time. And the story that I heard was that it was a man in a bunny suit that would come around. He would he would pop up every Halloween, yep. and he murdered children, and yep. he would skin them and skin hang them, them over Bunny Man Bridge as like a warning, like Ew! get rowdy on Halloween. See, that's way worse to me as a. That's a story that I heard. that would scare the hell out of oh, me yeah, as a I kid. Was terrified of the Bunny Man when I heard it. That's pretty cool, though. Yeah, that is pretty cool. Things that you tell children to make them good. Oh, yeah. Elf on the, the Halloween shelf. man of it all. Remember that? Which one <laughs> yes. Was my family terrified me with that I, mask. Yeah. You poor it. thing. It's trauma. It is. I agree. I don't know why you have to scare the hell out of children to make them be good. You don't. You don't. Positive reinforcement, I feel like, is just as effective. Well, I don't really know. I don't know if just as effective. Yeah, but. I don't know. I was just <laughs> I was just afraid in general. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, an authority thing, I guess. Yeah, I was definitely a lot more scared of like what goes bump in the night as a kid. If somebody, now I'm like, don't threaten me with a good time, right? If somebody was literally, <laughs> if somebody was the bunny man in all of those stories, or like a person existed right at that time frame, it kind of sounds like I'd be a cop. Ooh, because there's like no evidence, right? There's no like uh, or part of that it. That first report wasn't even. Like, it was like not complete. Exactly. Anywhere. There was no doc- Kind of seems like it would have been a cop. Or was there? Mom saying. But I thought it was interesting that there's only two like, like descriptions of like somebody. You know what I mean? Like oh, we saw that. Person. Exactly. This is what they look like, and it's like this. And they're always at like some lovers' lane type of place, oh, well, right? Yeah. Where it's like, hmm, who else? Who hangs out That's there? That's so Cops. urban legendy. Yeah. Yeah. So many like a- like mm-hmm. like aspects of like a classic urban legend. I love this. that, and I love that it's local. Like, yeah. There's another good one. Um, we'll talk about that, and we could do 
an urban legend one of that. Yeah, I want to do a full, like, urban legend series. It would be cool if people, like, have local legends. I want to hear them. Please submit them. I'd yep. love to tell them on the pod. Yeah, that would be really cool to know where you're from and what your urban legend is. Yeah. That's cool. And, like, so this was also really, like, gratifying for me, too. Because, yeah. like, you know what I mean? I've always, like, heard... I've heard different versions of this story. Yeah. And I always kind of, like... You, you always have that, like, inkling, like, this mm-hmm. is not... This is not rooted in any kind of reality. Well, it's nice to have like a definitive, like, oh, that's that's probably what happened. And if it was a reality, that would have been this, one of the scariest things I've ever seen in my life. Is a full grown man with a hatchet in a bunny suit. That would scare the hell out of what, me. Okay, so what's scarier to you, a the man? Clowns. A ma- no, a man. Do you remember the clown pandemic? The, the clown. Do you remember that when that people was, used I to do, do a that? Episode on that. That was. Do you remember funny. when people used to do that? I, I, yeah, I'm, that scared I'm, the hell out I'm, of me. I am of the mindset that half of those were tulpas. Half of those were manifested by people just being so terrified and putting so much energy into that. Mm. That then that's they just started seeing things. Or you know how that's one of the archetypes that people see when they DMT trip. We're gonna get to it. <laughs> was is the veil dropping, and that's they're seeing the jester archetype. Ew. Because you know about the jester, right? No, but that's. Uh... Mm. It's gonna make my whole brain. <laughs> mm, okay, so what's more? Okay, so my question: What's more creepier to you, a man like a man in a bunny suit, like dressed up in a costume, or like an anthropomorphic, like he's like half man, half bunny? He has like bunny man dressed in a bunny suit. That's more creepy to you, absolutely, because I'm already terrified of men, and then crazy men, right, mm-hmm. would be it. At least I would know. Not that it's not real, right? But that would be like. And there's the potential that it could be goofy looking. Where you're or, gonna, like, laugh. Yeah. Or, or, or it's, like, not a person that acts like something else, right? It would be, like, a creature. Yeah. Creature, to me, isn't right. as horrifying as somebody literally... The man. Yeah. The man in the suit. It is. To me, it is. The man whose intentions you don't know. At least with the anthropomorphic bunny, you're, like... Yeah. It's a weird thing. Did I like, fall it's into already it? a weird... Did I fall into a Disney? Are we in Alice in Wonderland? It's going to start singing with you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that to me would be way creepier. Okay, yeah, I think I agree with you. Yeah, I think I agree. Cool. Glad I'm gonna dream about Bunny Man. This was tonight. a good episode. This was. That guy's cool. And I think local people will like appreciate this one because it's like a. I'm not gonna get on here and just tell you the story of the Bunny Man. I that's pretty cool though. Questions. Well, Brian, shout out Brian Conley. I'm gonna tell everybody at work about Brian Conley. No, for sure. That essay is like he did work. He probably still works there. I'm saying seriously, he probably does. He probably does. Everybody go look him up. Shout out, Go Ryan. look him up. Add him on Facebook. He's going to be like, why am I getting all these? Yeah. Yeah. But while you're while you're, um, while you're you're on the interwebs, adding people uh, on Facebook. Oh, yeah. Add us. Not uh, on Facebook, though. No, we're on Instagram. But you can also like, <laughs> and leave, TikTok. Us a, leave us a like, a comment, a review, a five-star review. Yeah. Anywhere you're listening to your podcast. And on TikTok. We would love that. Yeah. Submit any stories that you'd like to hear on the pod. Yep. I want to hear people's stories really I love bad. stories. Yeah. We have one coming up. I know. I'm excited it's about it because I don't know anything about it, so I'm excited. It's our first listener tale. Yes. I'm Stay excited. Tuned. We'll see you all next week. Bye, guys. Bye. A Semi-Charmed Kind of Podcast is hosted by Ashley Williams and Kyle Yugis. Music credits by Chauncey Fortune and art by Decay Decor. Keep listening and keep it cryptid. Yeah.